you're changing your mindset from self-control to self-care. And that shift is of all the importance. Like it's, it's, are you doing this from a punishment angle or a fear angle? Or are you doing this from an, I want to take care of myself. I want to feel good angle. Mm-hmm. And that the space between those two things is very wide, but it is a mindset and it is a process to shift the mindset because we have so much to undo and then rebuild, but it can be done. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Samira Arman, also known as the PD Pals as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at The PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Hello everyone, welcome PD Pals family. We are so grateful that you took this time out of your busy schedule to join us on this journey of wellness. So thank you for joining us week after week. Today, we are so excited to bring you another special and very, very important podcast. This topic is something that's really close to our heart and something we wish we could talk about more in depth during our visits with our families in clinic. We never have enough time to delve into these uh, topics in the intricacies of these topics, but this is a prime of example of why we wanted to do this podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Stephanie Bonastia. She is a certified coach, occupational therapist, counselor, writer, wife, and mom who uses her amazing platform to coach people who are struggling with body image, disordered eating, diet culture, and empowers her audience to create a healthy body image and get through their barriers to focus on intuitive eating. We are so excited to have her. So welcome. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me here. Thank you again for taking time out. We know you're a busy mom uh, and we know that you have a lot on your plate as well, but we really connected with you on Instagram and we liked what you were sharing um, and your message. And so we just thought you would be the perfect guest to help us talk about this topic. Um, So before we delve into it, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm, like you said, I'm a mom. I have three girls and I had struggled with food and body image since I was myself, um, adolescent period. Um, I guess it was around 15, I would say when I started developing a really disordered relationship with food and my body and it turned into multiple versions of eating disorders. And, um, I really never got out of that cycle. I mean, it sort of took different forms, but I carried the cycle through all the way through motherhood and, um, it was after I had my third daughter and I was approaching 40 and I realized that, um, you know, you, oh, I, in my mind, I'd always just thought, you know, well, after I get married, after I have kids, after I, you know, all these things, I thought I would just heal. I thought I would just suddenly figure it out. And after I had my third daughter and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to enter my 40s and this is going to keep happening. It's not going anywhere. Um, I'm going to have to do something drastically different if I want my life to look different. Um, and that sort of realization just kind of catapulted me into investigating a world of recovery that I really had never even tapped into before. Um, and I started this journey on my own, um, just kind of w- winging it. And a year later, I had really, I I felt solid in my recovery and I decided to um, 
start a business coaching other women to help um, help them through what they're going through because I know that this is an extremely common and extremely lonely and often secretive um, place to be. That's really inspiring. And I mean, I always love, I think the best entrepreneurs are the ones that have like a really strong backstory and are very vulnerable in sharing it because that's what makes you relatable. And then that's what people get inspired by your success. And, and that kind of drives them to know that they could have the same potential outcome. Um, you know, as pediatricians, we know, we know eating disorders, unfortunately. Um, I wish we didn't, but we do. And, and having a dysfunctional relationship with food. And so we know that it's not one thing that contributes to it. It's a really complicated matter. But I'm curious, in your experience, now that you're on the other side of 40, like me, um, now that you have had this time to reflect and you feel like you have made such progress with yourself, looking back at when you were growing up, do you see things that, yeah, you're, you should, yeah. you're like, you already know what I'm going, where I'm going. What do you see? What do you reflect on and go, oh man, I wish mm. that hadn't like, or these things contributed to it. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's still an evolving, um, perspective. And, um, as a child, as a child, I was the oldest of three also. Um, and I was very conscientious. I was your typical, I mean, I, I think the typical eating disorder stereotype is that, you know, type a perfectionist oldest yes. child syndrome. And that's what I was. Um, but I was also very, shy and, um, a bit timid. And I didn't really have, I didn't know how to use my voice. I didn't know how to speak, um, up for myself very much. I went along with the crowd very easily because of that. I lived in a household that was, um, a lot of strong personalities that ended up dominating mine. And so I never learned to, uh, assert myself. And I also had, um, oddly, I'm, I'm one of the few people I, I feel like who didn't have a mother who modeled this behavior. My mother always actually had a really great relationship with food and a pretty neutral relationship with her body. But, um, my father struggled a lot with his weight and he projected a lot of his shame onto us and onto our eating habits. And he you know, didn't want us to follow in his footsteps. So he would monitor what we were eating and always warn us about portion control and things like that. And so I internalized a lot of that without ever realizing. And I didn't think this was a, I thought it was just, yeah, my dad's right. I, I should really like look at what I'm eating more closely. I really shouldn't have a second helping of anything. Um, and so I think just all of these things coupled together with me not being able to speak for myself and just sort of believing what the, you know, my family was sort of putting on me, um, led me to just feeling like I, I really just had a, I, I didn't really have a sense of self. And I think that was at the core of it. And I think over the past several years, I've really been trying to figure out who am I really, you know, who am I, what do I really like? What do I really want to say? What is my actual personality after all of these years of feeling like I was just sort of going through the, you know, the, the motions of what people wanted me to be very people pleasing tendencies. Um, so now looking back, I mean, I, I can see that I, I think it was just about not having that sense of self and not being able to assert myself for, um, in any real capacity. 
that who am I thing has got to be a 40 year old thing because I literally told that same thing to Anna the other day. She's, she's still in her thirties. Um, <laughs> just ratted her out. But, um, I, I, I felt the same. And actually I, I think it's great. It's such a wonderful evolution, but for me, it was that I always felt like you firstborn, da, 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 you know, so I'm very similar, very, I, I really relate to the whole type A thing, but I always felt that I was censoring myself. Yeah. Uh, and I'm over it. Like at this age, I don't want to censor myself anymore. And, and it's kind of crazy, but some of it actually also centers around professionalism. Um, I feel like I'm putting on a show mm. and I'm not being authentic or genuine because I'm in the, you know, trying to be professional. And so I'm just, I'm done. Like, I just don't want to anymore. And I, you know, I just say what I think now. And if someone has a problem, yeah. I can't, I can't be bothered. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm it is, it is like something about coming of to this, I guess maybe it's something about coming to this age in your life where you're like, am I really going to do this forever? Am I going to exactly. spend the rest of my life doing this? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I love the word authentic. Like that's exactly like the pivotal word. I feel like that my coaching centers around and that my, you know, I try to live a lot more authentically now. And um, yeah, when you grow up and you're, and you just aren't used to doing that, or you're used to putting on a performance, then you lose who that authentic person is because you're too worried about what it, everything appears like and keeping things under, you know, under the close to the best or like under the, you know, the radar. So that people don't know what you're really thinking or, um, what you want to say. Yeah. I, I love this conversation already because we've gotten so personal so quick. And I love that because I think that's when people really get inspiration. I know when I hear uh, stories and it's something that we both, me and Sammy both use in our practices as well is giving ourselves as an example. And I think that's why you're so inspiring to your audience because you talk about your struggles that you went through as a child. And so I try to do that as well. And now that we're sharing, <laughs> I might as yeah. well too, because <laughs> you know it, it was very interesting uh, growing up. I feel like my sense, my body image issues came later in life, um, which was interesting because um, through my childhood, I was always on the overweight trend, you know, uh, when you go to the doctor's office. And this is something that we have to really be cautious of because we're seeing kids on a day, on a yearly basis, and sometimes even more often. And we're talking about things like weight and their nutrition and their health. And so all of these messages that they're getting, it's it's a point of pressure because we have to be very cautious of how we say things, you know? And um, so throughout my early years and through my teenage years, I was always considered overweight or obese. Uh, but for some reason, I had never internalized it at that age. You know, I always thought I always had a very healthy body image and I thought I looked amazing <laughs> when a lot oh. of, uh, yes. And I always felt that truly. And even with, uh, and it was interesting now when I go back and talk to a lot of my friends and family and cousins, they had a completely different body image, you know? So it's very interesting to kind of, um, talk about that and how, uh, and awareness is the biggest key. And I think that, uh, especially 
even beyond my teenage years, probably when I was into college uh, and beyond, is when I started becoming more aware of body image and how I was perceived. Um, but I think for kids right now in this current age, it's a lot sooner, you know, because I didn't have the social media that kids have today. I didn't have that constant exposure to what other people were doing and what other people looked you like. I didn't and- even know what a filter was. Yeah. <laughs> No clue. No clue what a filter was. I mean, uh, we didn't have this constant exposure. And I think that is the biggest difference uh, between our generation where we we still had the disordered eating and we still had body image issues, you know, but now I feel like it's intensified even more um, because kids' brains are still growing and they're still, they're absorbing everything. And like you said, you didn't even realize the things you internalize, which were well-meaning Uh, you know, your dad was trying to make sure you have a healthy future and they were well-meaning, but, um, you know, the way things internalize is so variable. Um, so I was, that was very long winded (laughs) question just to ask you, uh, in the sense where, how do you, with your clients and your audience, how do you start this topic of, um, of body image and how, we should start how teenagers or how young people should start to view um, the way they look and feel. Great question. And so layered. Um, And what you're saying is so true because one thing I'm actually writing an article right now about um, there is a difference between the clients I see who are in like the 18 to 24 range versus the ones who are more around, you know, in their thirties, forties, and even fifties. Because I'm noticing that the body image struggle is so much, um, it's so intense with these younger um, age groups who are just coming out of, you know, high school. Some of them are in college that I see and the social media that they have just been absorbing since they were kids since, you know, at this point they were, since they were like little, since they got a phone at whatever age, 11, I don't know what age kids are getting these phones at this point, but um, (laughs) yeah, that, all they do, I mean, they're literally brought up taking selfies and um, comparing themselves to their friends on Instagram. I mean, pictures are the way that they communicate, especially even with the, the pandemic where it's happening, um, like it's their only mode of, of connection in some ways. And that goes for adults too, who are always seeing themselves on Zoom now and things like that, where this is more in our face. The way we look is really in our face. But as a as an adolescent, this is like the way that they're interacting with others and also themselves. I, we weren't used to looking at ourselves so much. So I think that there is a huge, um, you know, one of the first things that I do with when I'm working with clients on around body image is we talk about social media and we talk about what's in your feed and what are you, what is your feed filled with? Is it filled with, you know, sort of that aspirational, those aspirational accounts of like, okay, well, here's the, here's the, what I eat in a day account and how these people look and how to get the six packs and, you know, how to get, um, you know, this, these figures that are idolized. And a lot of people are using social media as inspiration to like keep scrolling through images like that so that they can have something to, you know, remind them of their goals. And all of that is extremely infiltrating as you were, you know, as we were saying into our brains and it's, we're absorbing this without even realizing that we're doing it. And the more we're seeing images that uh, like that, the more we're internalizing that that is normal. That's the normal, that's the default image of a woman, you know, is if we're talking about women here. Um, 
And we really do just sort of come to believe that these um, curated, filtered, uh, photoshopped images are, that's the norm. That's what we should look like. And anything else is a variation away from that, including our own bodies. And so we're comparing ourselves to these images, which we were always doing in the media, like when we were growing up without social media, but because it's just so like, anytime you're bored, every time you're in a doctor's office, anytime you're doing anything, you're just scrolling this. And it's just constantly flooding your 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 mental imagery and it's becoming more and more ingrained and so one of the first things to do is to really start to do um an inventory of what your social media looks like and how often you're you're looking at it and there are ways to take out the kind of messages that are getting to be toxic at this point and to replace them not only just to take them out but you can replace them with um diversified images of uh, my feed is full of women of all different sizes, shapes, colors, you know, ages, um, so that I'm always being reminded of what normal looks like and that I can see my body reflected in someone else's account that looks completely normal. You know, it's not, there's cellulite there that I'm looking at on a daily basis so that when I see mine in the mirror, I'm not like, oh, what's that? You know, what is, what is going on here? It's very, um, I'm, I'm literally training my brain and I help my clients train their brains to see more diversified imagery um, and, and on social media in particular, because that's the first place I think that this is happening. I mean, that is so powerful. I feel like even if you don't say another word, we could like stop the podcast here, like end message, take home has been accomplished because it is so true. It's true for adults and it's like 10,000 times more true for kids who have no idea what the effects of this infiltration has on them. And they're young, their brains are still developing, their prefrontal cortex is immature, they don't know what's going on. I mean, it goes beyond even social media, it goes into like the advertisements they see and the shows that they're watching, it, it goes into even the video games. I mean, none yeah. of the avatars in the video games look like real people, but they act like real people if you get my drift. So mm -hmm. it's, it's so important. And I think Again, if there was one thing I want people who are listening to this podcast to take away from this podcast is go on your social media, look through everything you're following and decide is like Marie Kondo it. Is this bringing me joy? <laughs> is yeah. this realistic? And is it, you know, is it inspiring me? Uh, when you said the people of all shapes and sizes and all ages, I love it. And I, it reminded me of this one lady who we're like dying to have on this podcast, but she's too busy. Her name or her handle anyways, train with Joan. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but oh my gosh, she she's in her seventies and she did not start taking care of herself until like five years ago or something like that. Like a time that society has said is too late mm. and she has absolutely zero, um, like aesthetic goals. It's only about living a good life, being happy and, and, you know, exercising and all that. And she's so inspired. I mean, I love looking at her because I'm like, look, if she can do this, I can, you know, and that's the kind of thing that you want. Like I can keep yeah. going, not looking at someone and going, oh my God, they have no cellulite. I I better start working on my cellulite and, you know, vice versa, like you said. So I think that's just such a, such a powerful message. And if I had it my way, it's greedy, but I would say no children should be allowed social media. Mm -hmm. 
it's impossible. I'm, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not in a glass house throwing stones here. It's impossible. It's part of the world. It's part of peer pressure. It's part of everything now. It's a pandemic, yada, yada. I, I know that. But if I could, I, I really would take it away from all of them until they are mature enough to know the consequences of the infiltration because they really aren't. And then for them, it oozes out in all kinds of other ways. Definitely. My, I, my oldest is, uh, she's about to turn 10. And so she's very interested in, you know, some of her friends have phones or at least have some, you know, kind of social media exposure. And, you know, we are putting this off as long as we can, but it's coming. And I know that it is. And I know that I can't really harbor her. Like I can't shield her from what's inevitable. But what I do work on with her, not so much with my younger ones, or I do to an extent, but with my older one, I can start talking about it a little bit more. And um, I reinforce to her that a lot of the images that she's seeing, especially when it comes to even like the Disney junior shows or like things she's watching on TV that are, you know, it's not social media, it's just, it's TV, but they're all very slight characters. I mean, the, the female leads are very, very small. There's none that are, um, have, have any diversity of body size. And so, um, we talk about that and we talk about the fact that there are, um, you know, that not everybody looks like the people on TV and that, you know, maybe don't you think maybe they, there, there should be some other, you know, people who look a little bit like different than, than the, the average typical default girl. Um, we have books at home that represent that. And I make sure to point it out to her when she does see, um, when she is picking up books or when she's seeing social media, sometimes she sees me on my social media, on my account, she'll see the things that I'm following. And I make sure that I kind of show her that there's women in different, that look very, very different. I, I try to expose her to that in any small ways that I can, um, so that she begin and, and she sees my body and I'm not, you know, I'm straight size. I'm not thin. I'm sort of midsize. And she, um, she sees my body and she sees that I have imperfections and she, sees me not trying to hide that or talking about it in a negative way. I don't look in the mirror and criticize my body. I don't talk about how clothes don't look right on me or they're not flattering on me. I, I, I try to be an example, even if I'm not always feeling it, even if I'm having a moment of my own insecurity, I do not betray that and, and show that to them. I walk, I stand pretty tall and I, you know, have my shoulders back and I wear what I'm wearing. And I, um, I, I don't, I don't, allow them to see any sort of reflection that what, what my body is, is wrong in any way. Yeah, that is, that is great. And that's, it's because you're conscious about it, about those images, images and those messages that, you know, that, that impacted you, that it's, it's really great to hear that you're trying to do the same. And it all does begin with us. You know, it's not really meant to be another point of stressor for parents because they have so much already to stress about like social media and the pandemic and everything else. Um, but you know, it is important to recognize that it does begin with you. And really at the crux of everything you're saying is, uh, is the main, the main thing that we're talking about is self-image, right? And self-love and what we think of ourselves. And kids, I think if they feel supported, if they feel loved, then a lot of times those insecurities um, that you think would develop, um, there's there's less space for them. You know, if they really do feel supported and they feel that 
uh, that, you know, we're focusing on health rather than, uh, you know, uh, exactly what, what they look like specifically. Uh, but that's really great advice on all the things that you're doing so that your daughter gets those, those messages. Uh, but something that we talk about all the time is how do we recognize when our children, our, uh, when our children are starting to, you know, fall down that slippery slope of uh, getting to an eating disorder or um, a disordered, uh, dysfunctional relationship with food. So how do you help your clients recognize when this is going down, you know, troubled, troubled? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my kids are not of the age yet where that, that is, is becoming an issue yet. But I remember, I reflect on my own experience and I remember being that age and I remember what happened and I remember the way that it happened and how my parents responded and, um, maybe signs that they might've missed. So, um, I, I became increased. I had always been sort of obsessed with food and then I started counting. I started counting calories. I think now it would be more like macros. I, I feel like that's more the trendy thing happening, but I started becoming really aware and I started getting a lot pickier with, um, the food in my house. And so, um, you know, things that I had always normally eaten that with no problem, I was suddenly very, you know, measuring or refusing altogether. And I also, at the same time, started to retreat a lot and got very, um, I isolated and I started to decline, um, social activities because I need, it would have, it would have interfered with, um, my goal calories for the day and, uh, or my exercise plans for the day. That was another point with a lot of increased exercise. So I think that, um, these are typical warning signs to be, to be on the, you know, which can sometimes blur with health. And I think that's why this is sometimes tricky because the health and wellness culture, um, promotes things like, um, eating clean and eating, um, you know, maybe eating in certain macros, you know, to, to be fit and to exercise more and all these things can be, you know, in, in, in a certain lens, it can be okay, but taken to an extreme, it, it becomes a disorder. And so it's easy to hide under the mirage of health when it is actually more of a weight-based issue or a weight, you know, a fearing of weight gain. And it's just easy to, to cover that up. And so, um, I, I, I would, yeah. It's a blurry line, right? It's like yeah. being conscious of something and then suddenly, you know, you're, you're dysfunctional about that, that, things. So, yeah. yeah. It's a blurry line. I was thinking back about uh, what you were talking about with your kids and I was thinking about mine. I have two girls too. And I was thinking, Oh, if I had a nickel for every time they went, you're squishy, <laughs> 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 which in my head, every time they say that, I'm like, thanks a lot. <laughs> but what my lips say mm-hmm. are this squishy belly gave birth to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why it's like that. And <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm always like, okay, there it goes again, you know, yeah. I'm not thinking about it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that's a really valid point. And I know one of the things that you really, you talk about a lot on your platform, and I'm not sure people are very familiar with it is intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So what could you describe to the listeners? Like, what is that? And, and, you know, how, why yeah. do you recommend it? 
Okay. So intuitive eating is, it's not even something that you learn. It's something, it's more of a process of unlearning. So we were born intuitive eaters in terms of, and you can look at kids, small kids and, and watch the way that they eat before all the messaging comes into play. So they sort of just eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're full and they eat for joy. They also, they eat for enjoyment and pleasure and socially. And, um, they, they sort of just have this way about this attitude towards food that isn't really, they're not weighing and measuring or thinking about how it's going to affect their, their body size. They're just, does this, um, is this filling me up or not? And do I like it or not? And so, um, along the way, of course, as we get older, we start to hear and absorb all the messages of how these things are going to affect our weight and if it's healthy enough or not. And are you, you should you really be eating all that and, and all the diet culture's messaging. And so we get a farther and farther away from those signals that we're, we're actually biologically designed to have. I and mean, it's part of our survival. Eating is very much part of the, it's always been, it's how we survive. So we're born with signals in place to tell us when we need food. And we're also born, you know, if we're not getting enough food, we get the signals in our brain to say, you know, that's when we start getting obsessed with food or we start really thinking about it a lot. And that's why a lot of times when we're under eating, we, we don't understand what we feel like food addicts because um, we can't stop thinking about food, but that's our brain on purpose, guiding us towards it. All of that to say that we lose touch with the hunger signals and the fullness signals. I know that intuitive eating sometimes um, a lot of people will say, well, I can't be an intuitive eater because if I just listened to my body, I would eat all day long and never stop. And truly that is almost what happens in the beginning of intuitive eating phases, but that's because there is so much messaging that has told you that you have to micromanage your food, that it becomes like psychologically we rebel against that. And then we want to eat it all and all and all because we feel like somewhere along the line, we're going to get on another diet or someone's going to tell us it's too much. And so we sort of get it all in. And so that is the process um, of, you know, when, when we start eating intuitively, we're almost we're feeling all of the, the flood of those urges in terms of wanting all the food because we're so used to feeling there's rules around it. But over time, um, when, you know, given the time and space for this to work out, work itself out, um, your hunger and your fullness signals will return to you. I, I, I'm come from a place of having mostly identified as a binge eater for, um, 25 years. And I started the intuitive eating process and I, the beginning of it was horrifying. I was terrified of, of the amount of food that I was consuming with permission now. Um, over the course of several months, um, that started to go away. And I started to actually be able to stop eating when I was full. I was recognizing that I was full. Um, and I was, I mean, I remember the one time eating dinner and actually not finishing it and thinking, I cannot believe that this is, this is happening to me. I and mean, this has just never happened to me since I was five. Like, I just can't remember. And, um, but but that this is something that we can trust our bodies to do and that given enough self-trust that that is what starts to happen. And intuitive eating is the process of sort of finding that trust again. Yeah, no, that's really, really important. We talk about intuitive eating a lot, especially in the toddler phase, uh, because a lot, we like, like you appropriately uh, stated that toddlers will 
eat when they want to, you know, and um, their metabolism tends to slow down at that age and they get termed picky eaters. Mm. And um, this is a point of stress for parents. And they're not picky. They're just eating when they're hungry and um, their body doesn't need it at that point. So they don't have that uh, association with food. Like you mentioned, they're not hoarding food, uh, you know, psychologically because they feel like they're not going to get it. And so this is where the parenting piece really comes into play where parents are putting a lot of their stress, you know, food is such a symbol of love in so many cultures. And when they see their child isn't eating at the intervals that they deem appropriate, Mm -hmm. then it becomes like, oh no, are they going to gain weight? Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to grow? And a lot of what we do on a day-to-day basis is talk about that with parents that, you know, this is natural for their body to do this. And um, when we're forcing food upon them and when we're asking them to conform, this is where a lot of those habits form, uh, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, it is really hard to intuitively eat when you're having a lot of uh, sugary foods that, that are creating those cravings, you know? And so then you can say, okay, I'm intuitive about wanting all of this junk food, but it's, it's creating those cravings. So it's so, it's such a hard balance, it's you so know? Hard. It's it so yeah. hard. The, the amount of information and the things that are coming out nowadays and like people talking about the microbiome and what, what cravings mean and all that. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, people just, the more they learn about this stuff, the better it is. And the more they decide their path. And again, to to get kind of personal, but I just think it really helps people. Um, Over my lifespan, I've always tried the latest dietary fad, always in the realm of, I wanted to be a good girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, I thought that was the right thing to do. So I never like for any reason of trying to necessarily lose weight or anything, but when, when like a low carb thing came out and like the, I don't know, eighties, nineties, wherever I was like, Oh, okay. So carbs are bad. So I'm, I should probably not eat those as much. And, and I've tried it all a variation of it at some point and, and I never make it past like it used to be, maybe I could do a week, but then it would be like a day by the time that I was in my thirties, because I never felt good. It, mm-hmm. Like I always sort of feel fluish and not right and whatnot. And, and so Anna and I actually talk a lot about, we're both from the Middle East and I don't mean to delve too much into this, but we both learned through, despite having very separate life journeys and separate relationships with like our bodies and food and all that, we actually both came to the same conclusion about how these ancient cultures of intuitive eating, mm-hmm. um, like Ayurveda is one that we talk about a lot how everything around that centers around like, what are you, what is your body craving? What is your body telling you? If you're craving sugar, you must need sugar. If you are craving a salty food, you must need that and eat till you're full. And you know, all that, like we talk about that so often and they've made an entire culture out of this specifically, you know, and like these foods are good when you're feeling like this and these foods are good for, you know, it's fascinating actually. And it comes from a really culturally rich background. But I, I think like, I just wanted to share the fact that myself, I've never been able to do anything like the keto for me would like never, I couldn't do it. A day later, I was like, I don't feel well. <laughs> Give me the carbs. <laughs> I need bread. Yeah. So. yeah. I think, um, yes, there is. I, and sometimes it's funny because intuitive eating can become another way of dieting for many people um, in that it becomes the hunger and fullness diet where, okay, so I should only eat when I'm hungry and I should definitely stop the second I'm full. And if I veer from that, then I've failed intuitive eating. And really it's more about 
there's more flexibility than that. And it's also a matter of, it's not only about eating when you're full and uh, hungry and stopping just when you're full. It's also about, well, what's the context? Are you with your family? Are you with your kids? Um, for example, the other night I had had dinner, I was completely full, but my, it was warm here for the first time. And like, so it was like spring fever over here and we all went out for ice cream and we were all having it as a family. And I had an ice cream cone, not because I was hungry for it or particularly, I wasn't even craving it. I just, had it because it was a family experience. And that's intuitive too. There's, there's so much context that we leave out when we're talking about rules and, um, and when we're focused on only weight or numbers or macros or getting the right, you know, even health, it's, we're, we're just focused on these rules and there's so much of a broader context to food. And there always has been in terms of when you look at our, you know, cultures and, and traditions and, you know, human humans have always bonded over food. It's always been a social experience and we're getting so far away from that. And, um, and we're teaching our kids that too, when we're, when we're reinforcing these rules and, um, you know, and, and kids, kids are naturally not that way. Kids are naturally like, you know, eating when they're hungry and eating, you know, ice cream because it's joyful and things like that. And, and when you were speaking earlier about the confusion around with kids and, you know, kids may just want all the sugar. I do hear that a lot where it's like, well, if I let my child eat intuitively, they would just eat all of the mac and cheese and they would never have broccoli. Um, there's a book, um, by Alan, Ellen Satter. And she, she talks about the difference between intuitive eating for adults versus kids because kids don't have, you know, their brains aren't fully developed, um, that parents can guide their children in terms of the parent says, when it's time to eat and yeah. what is, uh, what is, um, you know, a, with a variety of food to eat and the child gets to decide if they're going to eat and how much of it how they're much. going to eat. <laughs> That's exactly and, what we say all yeah. the time. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. And I have used this with my kids and, um, you know, it's amazing as, as much as we want to like intervene and, you know, like, well, just eat more, you know, they, they do, they know how to do this. And my three-year-old, um, we'll eat lots of mac and cheese, but she also eats lots of um, cucumbers and, and she'll ask for it. In fact, the other morning she had carrot sticks at breakfast because she wanted it. I mean, it wasn't what I put out, yeah. but I did. I said, all right, fine. I'll make an um, exception for carrot sticks. <laughs> yeah, I, right. Exactly. Um, where, you know, it's just, you'll watch like the, they're both, they're both like they'll eat both and it's yeah. not always. And, and the more often when the kids are constantly going for um, sugars and sweets, it's more often the case that they are typically told that those aren't allowed or that there's strict rules around that, or, you know, there's sort of a charge around those foods in the home, um, where they're getting it when they can. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to clue into what you said that you meant, what you mentioned just earlier about the numbers or the weight. And it's something that I think it's so important for parents to understand when they go to the doctor's office or when they, uh, when we're talking about their weight. And I usually preface, you know, all visits in the beginning saying, you know, we're, the number to me doesn't matter. You know, there is, when we show the growth chart, there is a wide range of weights and heights and everyone's different and everyone falls on a different point of the curve 
curve. Um, but we're looking at trends and we're making sure that they're growing appropriately. And so I always have to preface it with, you know, because a lot of parents will be, did they gain weight? What's their weight now? You know, um, how much did they gain from last year? And it's really important at that time to shift the conversation to let's talk about the things you like to eat or the things that, you know, uh, you want to make available for your kids to eat and not necessarily the number. But we are guilty of this because, you know, all of our calculations, uh, we're looking at weight and height and BMI. And this is some the work that both of us are doing to shape, to shift that conversation to say, the number doesn't matter to me. What matters more is that you're, you know, you're getting access to the right foods, that you're eating the things you like and, um, and you're growing well, you know, and that's such, that's so connected to the psychological part of that body image. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome that you are doing that because I, I think, um, I mean, I've been to pediatrician offices, offices with my kids where that's not necessarily the message depending on which doctor I'm seeing. And to hear that that's something that you guys are, I mean, what a stress off the parent enough and the child, how good for the child to feel like this isn't the focus that they're not going to start. I mean, how, how nervous are we to go to doctor's office and step on the scale and get, you know, and potentially told that our, you know, that we need to, it's, it's such a point of stress. And I think this is happening for kids that I remember it happening at, at a younger age of just having that idea of like, do I weigh more than uh, when they would weigh us in schools? Like, do I weigh more than my friend or less than my friend? There's just this thing that starts to happen. And if the parent is asking, you know, is, is overly curious about numbers and gain. And is that a problem? Like the child is hearing this and internalizing that. And for you guys to be moderating that and saying like, that's not, that's not a problem. It's not, it's okay that they gain weight. And also that the trends that you're mentioning, like our bodies are different. I think parents are so afraid for their children to gain weight and be, you know, in a, in a body size that maybe they weren't envisioning. If, if you come from a family of genetically larger bodied people, that may be your child's path. doesn't mean your child is unhealthy. It just means that we're diverse in, in size and shape and that, that that's okay. That's, we don't have to micromanage that. Yeah. I've actually gone, I don't even, I don't even use words anymore. Well, that makes it like that. That made no sense, but <laughs> I don't even use labels. I don't even use words. I'm like telepathic. Um, no. <laughs> um, I, I like don't use labels anymore. So a lot of times parents are kind of looking at like, is that good or bad? Or is that overweight or, or you know, obese or whatnot? Um, or is that underweight? And I always say like, I don't like to say that because one, he's right there. Yeah, <laughs> He's looking at me and he's going to walk out of here going, the doctor said I was like Goldilocks, too big, too small, just right, you know, blah, blah, blah. And no matter what, you're just right. Right. And mm. so, and I would say like, the, for me, there's four things. Are you eating well and healthy for the most part? And I like to make it simple to tell people like 80% good, 20%, who cares, you know? Um, are you exercising? Are you getting sunshine? And um, are you sleeping well? And are you taking care of your mental health? If you're doing all those things, this growth chart means nothing to me. Yeah. You know, if you are accomplishing those and you feel like, you know, we all always could do slightly better, but also you have to be enjoying your life. And I think if, if we could go back to Anna's question real quick, because I've been thinking about what you said, Anna, and you, you were asking, when do you know that it's gone to, you know, a point where there's a dysfunctional relationship to me, it, any type of question like that always comes back to, is it interfering with your life? Mm -hmm. Has it consumed you? 
because mm-hmm. uh, that's, I think that's when it crosses the line. So when your child, and I think maybe, I don't know if you agree, Stephanie, with your personal experience, but like, was that the tipping point, the point where food started to become very important in your life? It was consuming you. It was interfering with you going to parties. It was doing like, you know, with you doing your normal day-to-day activity, you, you weren't enjoying things because you were counting. That's when it became, it went from maybe you looking at food as like a potentially healthy thing to potentially dis- dysfunctional. I don't know like an obsessive, agree. like an obsessive compulsion, right? That's the biggest. Yeah. My, my life started to revolve around food and exercise instead of it fitting into my life. It, it was completely that way. Yeah. I withdrew from my friends and my social events and yeah, I even remember I would wake up at like five in the morning to go running before school. Like it, it was just, yeah, it was obsession and it was definitely interfering with the quality of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And definitely, I think people, this is a great point to talk about girls and boys too, because a lot of times people look at women and their body image, but we see uh, eating disorders a lot in, in young men as well and boys and this sports culture and weightlifting and obsessing about, you know, how much they weigh and their football games. And, you know, so, so that kind of obsession can come anywhere. And it's that obsessive nature, that interference you know, it, it interfering with your life, um, that you guys hit on, I think that's the, the crux of, of, of when it becomes disordered or dysfunctional, right? It's yeah. really hard as a parent though, because Stephanie illustrated so well that it's really subtle and it's not in a day. And so right. it happens really, really kind of slowly and, you know, just how we're with our kids every day. So we don't really notice them growing, but they're growing. It's the same thing. It's a slippery slope. When you see someone every day, you don't notice right away if they're losing weight or if they're doing things. I remember there was a mother who I had as, as a patient, um, several years back, but the way she discovered that her teenage daughter had, um, an eating disorder was she kept finding bloody socks and she was like, why do her socks have blood on them all the time? Like, what is that? And then finally went, looked at her feet and saw that she was running so much like the 5 a.m. thing. She was running so many miles that her feet were bloody when she was coming home. And that's how her mom discovered that it had crossed into the land of dysfunctional. So, mm. yeah. And, and I think recognizing, um, you know, self-reflecting is really important because unless you do that as a parent, as an individual, then no matter what, messaging you're trying to give to your children, you're not believing it necessarily. So it's really, I mean, I had, I was guilty of this, you know, when I was in my journey to becoming a doctor and, uh, you know, I felt almost like a hypocrite because I was told I was overweight and I needed to lose weight. And I was like, well, you know, I'm now preaching. I have to practice what I preach and I have to look a certain way for people to consider me, uh, you know, an expert. And, and, and I had to switch that thinking in my head to think like, you know, I look differently maybe than what people, uh, imagine. And then you can really, and I can use this to show kids that, listen, I might look a certain way, but I might be healthy when I look at what I'm eating and what my blood work looks like and what we consider healthy. And so I think unless we do that work to say what, how we truly view ourselves, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle when you're talking about your kids, you know, it's, it's very difficult, but 
So yeah, because we're constantly, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're constantly projecting um, our own insecurities. I mean, as parents, not only in this area, but everywhere else I've noticed. <laughs> I mean, just constantly all the things. I'm like, oh, I'm projecting that onto her. Like, this isn't this isn't necessarily her problem. This is mine. Um, but yeah, to constantly be aware that we're doing that. But that can definitely show up, I think, because it's such, again, it's such a charged issue with food and weight. And that that's yeah. something we're putting on our kids. So, so far, I feel like the two main points you've brought up are, you know, be wary of, of what image you're presenting to your kids and how you even view yourself and what you're saying and what your relationship with food is. The wonderful social media plug, go through it, make sure. Is there anything else that you feel like is a big take home message or at least what you feel like is part of your, your mission as, you know, what you do? Um. Yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so many layers to this, but, um, I think uh, touching on what we were just speaking about with the beliefs around health and weight and that it's not even just about, um, you know, accepting our bodies and, um, you know, having a healthy relationship with food, but also understanding, I think, I think I sometimes forget because I've been in this world for so long and I forget, you know, that it wasn't too long ago that I did not understand that having a larger body didn't necessarily equate to poor health and that, um, like books like health at every size can, and even if you're on social media, uh, you know, following hashtags around health at every size and understanding that health is not a, 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 a size. It's actually a behavior. So what you're speaking around, you know, you can have any body, you know, you're a, a body shape or size, but are you exercising the, the things you were talking about? Do you have good mental health? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you managing your stress? Um, are you eating, you know, a good, a fair amount of, you know, fruits and vegetables and things like that. And if those things are at play, then your body size is just what your body size is. And that, um, weight does not equal health and health does not equal weight. It is not a reflection of, of one another. And we have come to really think of it like that, but that if, if we can understand that for ourselves and we can understand that for our children and we can say, okay, instead of focusing on the size of my pants or the number on the scale, can I look at like, what about my life could I improve or does it even need improving in terms of the behaviors that are attached to health? That's a better barometer of thinking about um, your, your health or your child's health instead of, um, just going straight to the numbers, because I think that's taught to us is, is that that is a, they're, they're the same, you know, they're one and the same and that that's actually not, that's not necessarily the case. And I think that's more diet culture programming than, um, than what we're finding in reality. Don't you guys think so much of this has to do with mindset? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, really, that's all it comes down to is I'm sitting here thinking about it's so true, right? It's just all about the way you think about things and, and the way that you think about things as a product of what you've been exposed to in your life and your upbringing and, and all that together, you know, and maybe your genetic makeup, but it's all about how you look at it. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about running and I don't like, I don't like running. I'm not a runner. I will do any other form of exercise, get on my bike or play tennis, but I won't, I just don't like to, I'm not a marathon person. And the way they were saying, like, why do you have to think of it like that's the only way to run is like you have to go from couch to 5K. Mm. You could just run for three minutes and say, thank you for giving me the gift of being able to use my legs. <laughs> and then I thought yeah. about it and I was like, yeah, I get to run. What's wrong with me? You know, so I don't know if you guys think about that that way, too. Like, just like the way that you think about it is so huge. Is that what you feel like you work on the most, Stephanie, with people yeah. is like to try to reframe their... Yes, it's it's so much yes because a lot of times, um, especially when I'm talking about women who have been um, 
struggling with binge eating, you know, we spend a good portion of time getting away from the rules of diet culture, but uh, inevitably sometimes we come back to some of the same behaviors in terms of getting back to exercise, getting back to eating more vegetables. Um, you know, then there, there are sort of eating less at some point than they are in the initial phases of recovery. And the behaviors may actually look similar to what they were doing before in terms of reintegrating these health rules, but they're no longer rules. It becomes like, these are just, it, it, I always say, um, you're changing your mindset from self-control to self-care. And it's, it's that, that shift is, is, is of all the importance. Like it's, it's, wow. are you doing this from a punishment angle or a fear angle? Or are you doing this from an, I want to take care of myself. I want to feel good angle. Mm-hmm. And that the space between those two things is very wide. Um, but it is, it is a mindset and it is um, a process to shift the mindset because we have so much to undo and then rebuild, but it can be done. And it is, it also, it does, it does frequently take place in our, in our minds and what we've learned and have to unlearn. I, that was so wise. <laughs> That's the clip that we need to, to like, you know, bottle up, right? Hannah? The one that we always put on social media. That's the clip right there from self-control to self-care. I mean, did you just come up with that? I, so I say good. it to my clients all the time. I, I've like, I, I just, it's like my thing. It's, it's what I, it's the focus. It's really is, is what it, what it's about. I, I love that so much. Like the mindset that you talk about, we have a little PD Pals pyramid and we always talk about how the base of the pyramid is the mindset. You know, the mind is kind of the, 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 the base and it should be the one that we focus on the most, our mental health, how we look at things, uh, because there's going to be you know, uh, an unlimited number of stressors. And so we want, if we work on that base, then, you know, the stressors uh, of our body, of our environment, all the stressors, they don't weigh as much because, mm. you know, right now our pyramid is upside down and all of that is weighing heavily on our mind. And so we really have to do that work of self-care, like you perfectly said, um, to be able to build that up. But it's been so great to talk to you. And I think we could keep talking and, um, you know, your world of wisdom and, um, tell, tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can, uh, talk to you more and learn about, um, uh, learn about all of this stuff. Yeah, I am on social media. <laughs> I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm mostly on uh, Instagram. I have stories every day where I talk about these things and answer questions um, at, at I am Stephanie Michelle. Um, and I also have a website, I am stephaniemichelle.com. And I am currently actually running a book club for um, anyone um, who wants to join on Facebook. And we talk about we talk about books that have to do with all of these topics, intuitive eating, body image, mindset, emotions. Um, and every, every month we dive into something new and have discussions around it in a Facebook group. So um, if, if you're looking to learn or, you know, sort of step into this sort of uh, these ideas, that's, that could be a good place to start. Definitely. We really enjoy it. We both, you know, the PD pals definitely follow you and we um, get very inspired by some of what you say. So we'll make sure to give you credit the next time we say Aww, it's from thanks. self-control to self-care. <laughs> I'm going to use that one. I love that so Go, much. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's wonderful. So thank you for coming and thanks for sharing your, your story and experience with us. And um, we hope to have you back in the future. Yeah, absolutely. This was a lot of fun. You guys are great. Thank you so much for having me. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company.
Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.